Hey everyone, it's me, Kyrie. I'm editing this one, and on this gimmick award for best moment, there are spoilers abound. So we just wanted to give you a spoiler warning for the following games and anime. Alan Wake 2, Paranormasite, Void Stranger, Like a Dragon Ishin, Armored Core 6, The Fires of Rubicon, Final Fantasy XV, Gunbuster, Disco Elysium, and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Hope you enjoy this gimmick award category. Hello friends and folks and welcome to Scanline Media's 2023 Gimmick Awards. This is where we celebrate the year and the experiences and media we checked out throughout the course of that year. Today we're here to talk about the best moment from 2023. I'm Sex Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm Kyrie Page. From this list we have here, which is covering mostly games, but there is there are two anime entries on here, I will note. Um going with our, our theme this year. Well, on our theme, our, our policy this year of trying to sort of be less like uh, separate our, our categories less by media that they're from and just sort of, you know, have a more cohesive experience. Mm. Uh, we are looking from this for one winner and two runners-up. We do have the ability to flex the number of runners-up if necessary, but we should consider that a last resort. Jen, can you read our list, please? Sure thing. Um, hmm. Looking at it at the moment, it seems like some of the games are separated by a few entries. Uh, it's not a big deal. We'll just read the list. Okay. For best moment, we have We Sing from Alan Wake 2, The Volume Sliders slash Always Remember Me from Paranormosite, Battle and Unruly Princess from Void Stranger, Dry Fresh Countering and Angry Bird Winning Evo for Street Fighter VI, Drunk History from Like a Dragon Ishin, Etene, the movie from Alan Wake 2, The Dam Take 2 from Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, Being the Problem from Stonk's 9800 Stock Market Simulator, Ariana Drops In from Final Fantasy XV, Sailing the Coast from The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, Proper Shield Guarding from Modded Breath of the Wild. Surfing. Surfing. Oh, Proper Shield Surfing from Modded Breath of the Wild. First Sortie from Gunbuster. The Final Campsite from Final Fantasy XV. Aqua Decides to Try from Oshinoko. And Karaoke Success from Disco Elysium. Yeah. Uh, a nice, nice long list. Uh, for a while, it was just Jen and Kyrie, and then at the end, I chipped in half the category. <laughs> uh, but you know, tried to represent things that I thought other people would care about as well, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can start off with a very easy cut. Okay. Uh, proper shield surfing here is mostly here to represent that. I just wanted to be able to shout out in some way. Um. 
So Tears of the Kingdom came out this year. We'll talk about a Tears of the Kingdom moment at some point on this list. Um, and I played a lot of Tears of the Kingdom, but my biggest reaction to Tears of the Kingdom was, damn, Breath of the Wild was a good game, huh? Yeah. It really is a miracle that they made that and they can't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as part of that, I spent a lot of time this year playing a like a modded version of Breath of the Wild on my Steam Deck. And you had to go through a bit of an ordeal to get that set up. So there was there was a level of of like self-inflicted pain on that one. It turned out like it was sort of one of those things where it's like you like climb a rock wall, right? And you're like, ah, oh, oh, it took me two hours, but I made it. And you look to the side and there was a ladder, right? And you're like, fuck. <laughs> um so can't can't totally put that one on on the experience of it. That's sort of my fault. But yeah, it did it did take me a lot of did take me some doing. Um and what I created was just a version. I mean, first of all, I used the Linkle mod, right? Which replaces Link with Linkle, the female Link from, you know, originally from the uh Dy- uh High Warriors, Warriors, but yeah. you know, has has sort of built some some lore of her own in the fandom space. And I uh, removed fast travel and I changed some like weapon stuff. Not like I, I changed basically like master mode, which was broken. Turned out I still didn't play master mode because it's just not a good mode. But um, and I made shields not take durability damage from shield surfing because the biggest bummer of that whole mechanic the reason you never use that mechanic in breath of the wild was because it'd be like okay just like you want to get down this hill hop on your shield and slide oh it broke and you fell and you died yeah you start fucking tumbling (laughs) yeah i i remember that uh frustration like from playing and it's still it was still present i think in tears of the kingdom oh yeah oh yeah although you Um, could you could do some things where you like like merged a shield with a cart and that mm-hmm. like greatly reduced it but even then it's like it shouldn't take damage while i'm shield surfing <laughs> period yeah yeah so um mostly it's just hey that was a great way to play that game that game's great tears of the kingdom is no breath of the wild <laughs> it come like it, it is in the same like conversation which is a hell of a compliment but it ain't that Mm-hmm. Um, and also it was really cool to just have shield surfing work the way it frankly should have um I I can offer a cut here okay I I think we can take away the moments from like Street Fighter 6 um but I, I just kind of wanted to shout out, like, one, the first one, like, it is just, so Drive Rush countering is, like, so in Street Fighter Six, the new, like, the new mechanic is the drive meter, and if you hit both heavy buttons, you do a drive rush, which is this, like, super powerful attack that, like, just, like, can completely obliterate the opponent, right? But mm-hmm. if you do your own in response to that, like, you can beat it out. And it just is really stylish to see the game, like, go into this hyper slow-mo. And if both players hit the drive rush, like, at 
similar enough times, there's that little moment of anticipation of, like, who got it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it's never always, like, obvious who, like, won in that scenario. And it just, like, from a player perspective and from, like, a spectator perspective, it's just really cool to see. Um, yeah, it's like their version of Tekken 8's uh, slow-mo when two people are about to hit. Yeah, um, I do think it's a it's a cool moment when it happens. Um, it is, however, representative of a, of a mechanic that I think is a little too important in the game. Mm-hmm. I think Drive Rush has ended up being a thing that is like... Speaking of drive rush countering, it specifically you counter a drive rush with another drive rush because unlike other similar mechanics Street Fighter has used, like for example the focus attack, breaking it with normal attacks is damn near impossible. It has too many hits. Yeah, like there are a handful of moves that um some characters have that counter it, but it's very risky, and if you mistime it, like you often aren't even rewarded all that much. Um, mm-hmm. for being able to do that. Yeah. And I'm speaking as the character who has probably the best counter to it, Marissa, so. Mm-hmm. Jury's counter's pretty good, too, though. Like, her um, spinning kick can knock them out of drive rush. Yeah, but if I mistime it, like, it just doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, I think drive rush countering is, is like, a satisfying moment, but I, I don't think it hangs on this list for, for a couple of reasons, some of which we've already discussed, right? Yes. Um, also, the wrong bird won Evo, so that's not great. <laughs> wait, was it Angry Bird that won? Or did, wait, you know, did I write you, you didn't write this down. You didn't write this down wrong. Big Bird should have won Evo. Big Bird is the Marissa Angry main, Birds, right? <laughs> uh, Big Bird's the Marissa main, Angry Bird's the Ken main. That is true. That being said, like, that that final match, like, I, I think sometimes, like, it was an exciting match to watch. It was a mm-hmm. match between um, Angry Bird and um, Mena RD, who, like, the game was still fresh, and, but the fact that, like, Evolution had a tournament with over 7,000 people in it, and just like the high level of play that was on display like it was just like you couldn't ask for a better demonstration of that game at a high level like at that point in time and Mm -hmm. it was exciting and angry bird is also just like an incredible athlete just in general and it was cool like it, like both him and Menard like deserve to like win that title and like it never like in that same tournament you know it's at evolution there was like grousing about Leffen winning strive right like it was uh-huh. just a it was just a match that like with two incredible competitors doing their best and it was really fun to see um like it was just a yeah, it was a, just a moment for that game to, like, basically announce itself and also the players to, like, show up for that game. Yeah, yeah, it was a good final and a good, a good you know, a good tournament. And uh can look forward to, to future Evos and... 
Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, as you say, a good first showing for the game. Though, not a great sign that there was a fucking Blanca in Grand Finals. Fuck Blanca. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um... But I'm I'm okay seeing it go. Like it was just like it was just like a great tournament to watch, just in general. Mm-hmm. I'm fine cutting Etten uh, the movie. Um, just wanted to shout it out briefly because uh, essentially there's this one chapter you're doing where you're going through this movie theater, and uh, immediately after that chapter, it pops you back in there, and suddenly Etten. Uh, aka Nightless Night, starts playing on the screen. And it's just like a 20-minute psychological horror film that uh, Sam Lake and other members of the crew shot and uh, directed themselves. And uh, it's just really impressive thing to just see in smack dab in the middle of this game. Like, the amount of work they put into this from top to bottom is phenomenal. And... Just having a moment where you can just sit down and watch this experimental horror movie and you're like, damn, that was actually kind of good. It's, it was a memorable moment. It certainly seems to be like, this is a thing Remedy has been doing ever, like, even to certain, like, I, I remember in original Alan Wake, you had that Twilight Zone parody show, like, within the, within the game itself. And this feels like an evolution of that, like, paying homage to, like, their inspiration um, through, not, like, it sounds like with Entenna is, like, it's less parody, it's just more of, like, just tribute to horror media in general by being just a decent experimental horror film. Yeah, it... It's definitely running along those lines, and it also just has interesting bits that tie into the plot you're currently seeing. So, it's successful from multiple angles, I feel. Yeah, and it, it pulls from the like the history they've done, you know, if you go back to, like, j like uh, Address Unknown and Lords and Ladies from Max Payne. This is a thing they've been interested in for a long time. Totally. Um, I am okay cutting being the problem from Stonks uh, 9800. Um, so Stonks 9800 is a game I talked about on uh, Novel Not New. This is a like art style wise an imitation PC 98 like uh, stock market simulator slash like VN basically. Mm -hmm. um, the VN stuff is a bit underdeveloped right now, but you can you know, hang out with your secretary and stuff. Um, but mostly the game is just like, you know, you do stock market stuff. And if you get like, if you get a decent number percentage of like shares, you start going to shareholder meetings. You can make speeches at shareholder meetings and stuff. You can hang out at the bar with your friends. You can go play pachinko, all this stuff. Um, and what I appreciate I mean, there are there are a couple of things I appreciate the game, but being the problem is a moment that is like the game is is built to embody why capitalism and especially the stock market is such a bad fucking idea. Mm -hmm. Um, because so you're standing there and you're you're sitting there and you have your you know your graphs of like shares and like companies' shares going up and down, right? 
and you see that go down yeah yeah and you see there's like a company that's really on the slide right like they had some you know bad announcement from their ceo and their latest their latest product had recalls and their stock park price is just tanking right and you're like well one of the flaws of this game is that no company ever actually shuts down so this number is guaranteed to go back up eventually so might as well buy some stock if you're you know starting out in the game and you're not don't have that much money it's like okay you buy some stock hold out like just you know hold out until it goes back up right Mm -hmm. if you are further in the game and you have a lot of money and you buy like a five percent share in the company right the moment you buy it it stops for a news pop-up which says like oh a major investor has bought into this company Obviously, this company is on the rise. And because you bought it, the share price takes off. Damn. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is like, and this is how the stock market works. If you are rich enough, it is like, what if betting on 27 on roulette made 27 way more likely to come up? It's fucked. <laughs> I believe it. Because everyone's like, oh, it must be 27. <laughs> I, I believe that is called a pump and dump to a certain degree because you artificially inflate the price of it and then sell all your shares when it hits an apex and then just everybody else gets screwed. And you don't have to dump, right? You can you can pump and stay, right? I have there's you know there is a company in there that is basically like you know like one letter off. It's like like Toyoba instead of Toyota, right? <laughs> And it's like, you know, when I was starting out, Toyota stock really did right by me. So I will just pump and stay with Toyota at, from time to time because I'm like, I like this company. I'll, I'll stick by you guys. But yeah, I've fucked over uh, fictional Konami real bad. <laughs> I bought 10% and then just dumped it like a week later. <laughs> it's just like, this is all broken. This is all a nightmare. Anyway, I'm going to call my friends and see if we want to go out for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as much as we enjoyed watching Spice and Wolf, uh, econ folks are the most evil motherfuckers out there. That's pretty sinister. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm looking forward to, in, in, in 2024, Stonks getting a lot more in it. Uh, but for now, you can be the problem. And that's, that's a moment right there. Um, I can also shout out, and I guess probably cut, I'm sad to do it, but uh, Aranea drops in from Final Fantasy XV. Uh, Final Fantasy XV is a game that I was pretty disappointed by, um, and part of what fueled the disappointment were moments where you saw what it could be, right? Mm-hmm. And one of those moments was there is a uh, a mercenary, a dra- the dragoon of the game, Aranea, and she works for the Empire. But she's a mercenary, right? And, like, the first time you fight her, it's, like, a really hard fight. And then, like, a timer goes off and she's like, oh, quit in time and just walks away. Um, she, <laughs> she is about that life. And when you're in the overworld, at certain points in the game, there is, there are, like, there are, like, patrolling, like, ships of, like, Imperial soldiers specifically magitech soldiers which are basically like clockwork soldiers right and they will just spot you and dump a bunch of troops and then you have to fight them you can also theoretically run away but sometimes they dump a lot and it's kind of annoying to run away and i had an experience early in the game where i was trying to do a hunt 
and patrol ships kept flying by and dumping soldiers on me over and over and over until I just had a sea of soldiers and it was a nightmare. So I got a relationship where when I saw those fucking ships, I was like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) And late in the game, I'm doing the feature where you can like time travel back to the open world. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And I am just sort of going about on my day and I pull over. I'm like, oh, there's a mining node. And then, you know, of course, like, you know, uh, like Prompto's like, Noctis, there's a there's an Imperial ship. And then they dump a bunch of Magitech soldiers. And I'm like, ah, fuck. And then another ship flies up. And I'm like, okay, we're really doing a double double dump on me this fast. And it like the camera pans up. I'm like, ah. And the back opens, and it's Aranea, and she's like, hey, I'm off the clock, and you boys seem like you could use some help. And she just jumps in and starts fighting and, like, bantering with us. And after she helps, she's like, all right, catch you later, Prince, and takes off. And it's like, this is not a, like, it's scripted as in, like, obviously the way it played out, but, like, it was just an RNG thing that she showed up to help. And it was, like, a moment of, like, damn, this world could be cool. This game could be really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Some might say it even is really cool. I know they might. Copium's a hell of a thing. Is that why you put the last campsite onto this list, Jen? I put it on. I just knew she'd want it. She hadn't thought of it, but she wanted it on this list. Yeah. Six is right. <laughs> last campsite is a very mean- meaningful moment where you're about to go do the thing, um, face off against the jester. and uh, Oh, the gesture. Okay. The jester. For our, for our audience, what is doing the thing? If they haven't listened to our excellent novel not do episode on Final Fantasy fifteen, it's basically storming the city of Insomnia and uh, fighting Arden and uh, fixing the world once and for all. But uh, everyone in the group pretty much knows that uh, this is going to be a one way trip for either all of them or for just Noctis. And uh, there's just this interesting sort of somber note going on to it. And then it returns to that campsite scene post-credits where Noctis is just trying to communicate to the others that, yeah, I'm not coming back from this. I know that I'm going to die. And just seeing him in that scenario where he's sitting down, he's essentially breaking up in this very realistic feeling way where the weight of what's about to happen and the fact that he's never going to see these other people around him again hits him. And he just says, this is more than I can take and starts crying. And uh, as the others encourage him, he ends things with, you guys are the best. And uh, it's just a really powerful moment. The wording is obviously slightly different in Japanese, but the the point is the same, and it's it's a similarly just a very good performance from the voice actor who has spent the game being like, a, you know, you'd say he's de- like he's a good kid, right? Like, but he is you know in a bit of a phase, and he's kind of standoffish, and he sometimes has trouble accepting help, and it is this moment of him just like, yeah, just like he the like. And it's not just, like, the stress of it is too much, right? It's part of, like, you can be like, oh, he's too scared. It's like, no, he is, like, a whirlwind of emotion in that moment, because it's like he is, you know, he doesn't want to die, but he believes that this is a moment where he can really, like, set things right, and that means a lot to him, 
and he getting he's getting to see his friends again after a long time and he also knows he'll never get to see them again and i think it's a really it's a really powerful moment mm-hmm. and it takes effort for him to even say that much like he's trying to raise a point at a certain but the words aren't coming out and the others have to more or less, less coax him into being like no go ahead you need to say something go ahead and say it It's just this incredibly beautiful group moment that uh, really encapsulates the best of that game for me. Brought to you by Coleman. <laughs> yes, there are visible Coleman camping gear uh, <laughs> scattered throughout. This emotional moment brought to you by the... <laughs> it, it does sound like, from the way it has been described and the way I've heard this moment talked about, it feels like... Six, like, did it work for you even when most of the game didn't work? Um, I think... Yeah, I think it, I think it worked very well for me. Um, and I, I do think, like, the problem is, like, it, it was a cutscene, and for the most part, the cutscenes worked okay, though I still am, I still am not totally here for the way they handled Luna Freya. Mm -hmm. Um... The stuff that broke was whenever they tried to do something scripted in game, right? I mean, uh, it was it was fun hearing uh, the abnormal mapping episode where they played it after we did, and Jackson was explaining to them that all the sequ like the two different sequences where you're chasing Prompto, Prompto was not there for me, and they were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> it's like, yeah, the game just didn't hit because it was too buggy. It just um, buckles under the weight of be of being played normally. And I also think just like that some of that stuff just wouldn't have hit as we probably would have hit better if it was functional, but I still think it just wasn't great material. Um, but yeah, I think this is really strong and I think it's a, it's, it's the final ending I think is good. Um, again, I have some minor quibbles, but as far as like a last moment with your party, this is. It's it's in contention for the best one I've ever had in an RPG, right? Of like a like moment before the final battle. This is this is this is a candidate for the best. Totally. It it feels so real the way that they just open up and it really made the game something special for me even after everything else. So I would argue we probably have to keep it. Yeah. For now, anyway. We still have other stuff to get through, too. True. Oh, I forgot to cut right now. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to add one more moment, if that's okay. Okay. So the way this list works is that it is games that either are new to 2023 or, you know, got big updates and haven't been on Best Moment before, or are stuff we covered, right? Because we want this to be representative of our experience, but we also want it to have some relevance to the listener. I played a fair bit of, like emulated ps2 games i didn't talk about them on podcast so they're not here mm -hmm. but we did do novel not new on disco elysium and i needed to add a second disco elysium moment which is finding the bullet uh which one do you want to talk about first um actually karaoke success is probably the easier one to cut so probably we should do that one first all right i'm queuing it up all right folks you're gonna hear us so you know Open your ears.
so your character has pushed for there to be a karaoke night this whole time, right? And everyone else is like, this sucks, I don't want to do this. Um, and finally you get your wish, and you could, there's a roll to see whether you succeed at karaoke. This is the success. I would often go there. To the tiny church there. The smallest church in San San. Part of what makes this moment really hit for me... Though it once... Is... Was larger. You're playing... Harry, right? Harry Dubois, mm -hmm. who is this eccentric detective. Almost all your options to say things are strange things to say, kind of out there. And everyone really reacts to you like they're talking to a real fucking weirdo, right? But it's text only. You don't know what this guy's voice sounds like. And then he sings karaoke, and you're like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> it's also a bit of an interesting revelation, because... The various moments where you're going to sleep or something especially bad happens, a different voice other than the narrator pops in to basically mock you, and it turns out that's just your voice. I have been so glad here. Looking forward to the past. I also like that this is not well sung, right? This is the success. There's a fail, and it's like somewhat more funny, right? But we don't need to listen to that. The success is not that you sing well. The success is that it connects with other people. None of this matters. No. None of this matters. He does sound like he is trying his hardest. Like, it's a deeply... It's earnest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can pause it now, because it'll just go into the fail one, which I think is, again, kind of funny, but less interesting. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, it's it's a good moment. It's, it's just sort of like a, oh, uh-huh, I guess, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's going to hang on the list. Mm. But uh, do, you, do you disagree, Jen? Was that that little, that little, hmm? Oh, no, I was just, it was a, an, an agreement. Okay. But finding the bullet. Finding the bullet is amazing. Um, so... You have been, your character has been dispatched here to solve a murder. There is a man who has been hung in the backyard, basically, of a hotel. And you can go, you're supposed to have taken it down a while ago, you did not do so. Getting the body down is a whole pain in the ass. And then it's like, okay, we have successfully gotten the body down. We'll bag it and take it away, but first we should do, like, you know, an investigation, right? And you're like, okay, looks like somebody threw rocks at him, and the little shithead kid nearby was like, yeah, I fucking did. And you're like, all right, thanks, kid. Um, Looks like, you know, he got some, like, bruises and stuff over here. This is probably when they were, like, handling him to put him up to hang him. And then here is the mark on his neck where he was hung, right? And if you get some good rolls... Right? You have the option, like, because every time there's an injury, you, um, your partner, Kim Kitsuragi, is filling out a form, which, by the way, actually, we probably should have put him on best character, but we fucked up. Um, because he's fantastic. Best character he, in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
he is filling out a police form and the police form has certain things, right? You list an injury and then it asks you, okay, is this what killed him? Right. And it's like, you know, like fatal or whatever. Right. And you're, and so it's like, oh, the rocks fatal. No. Oh, the bruises fatal. No. And you're like, oh, the, you know, like the thing on his neck where he was, you know, hung. And if you have made the right rolls, Kim's like fatal. And you can be like, no. And he pauses and he's like, yeah, I'm listening. And you're like, I really don't think this is it. And there's some some more hard rolls. And you spot like a weird mark on the back of his on the back of his head. And you you know, it's not they don't make it too gruesome, but you have to get tools and dig around a little bit in there. And then there is a moment where your character just says, I got it. And pulls out a tiny bullet. And drops it in the tray. And like everyone in everyone in the space, even the little shithead kid who's been a fucking pain in the ass this whole time, is like, God damn, that was sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the the beauty of Disco Elysium is just like Harry Dubois, bumbling detective who can't seem to do anything right, but through the magic of like stats and good rolling could just pull it out right also the fact is when the moment is right he is a very fucking good detective that that's the fucked up part about all of this like he's just has this intense clinical depression and is addicted to drugs and all that but like when he is focused he is like nothing else there's even a moment uh, later on where you talk to someone and they're just scared of you because they mention that you're you're known as the person who will just follow leads like a hound and get anyone regardless of how well hidden it is. And she has she has hidden in an abandoned building with like a sonic trap and a gun because she didn't want you to talk to her because people call you the can opener because you just get you just open shit up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and normally it takes a while to build up to that point, but as Six said, if you happen to nail a bunch of really hard rolls early in the game, you can get to that point much earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um Finding that bullet is 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 one of my moments of the year. I would keep it on the list. Well, let's let's keep it on there for now, then. Okay. I guess I should probably just go into the volume slider and always remember me for Paranormocyte, because uh, based on what we're talking about here, I'm not entirely sure if it will hang, but uh, it's just an example of how inventive and interesting this game is. Uh, have you had a chance to play any six? Not yet, no. Okay. So, basically, during the prologue, you're kind of uh, going around trying to kill various people who happen to hold these curses with them. And each person's curse has its unique trigger, where if certain requirements are met, then they can kill someone. And one of them just happens to be this incredibly overpowered one, where if you happen to hear the curse, it will kill you. So you go in there multiple times and getting ga- you get game over multiple times 
because you're you hear the curse what are you supposed to do then you dig around in the options for a moment and you see the slider that says voice volume and you're like well this game isn't voiced what is this doing here but if you drag that voice slider to zero <laughs> and enter the scene that's how you solve it because the curse bearer is like what the fuck why aren't you dying like <laughs> This is supposed to kill anyone, and yet it's not affecting you at all. What is happening? <laughs> and it's all because you went into the options menu and turned off the voices. That's pretty clever. Yeah. Is there a reasonable expect? Like, do they give you the breadcrumbs to figure that out? Yes, they do. Um, essentially, each time you end up getting a game over, um, the 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 guide character of sorts pops up and is like, hmm, this was a tough situation, huh? I bet if you did something a little bit differently, you could get through it. And it's more or less a tutorial to teach you what you can do within the game is not always just in front of you. This is a puzzle game where the solutions can be really outside the box. And, uh... That also goes for the bit I mentioned with Always Remember Me, where much later in the game, when you're exercising a ghost, and uh, you basically bring the ghost a matter of peace, and it, it asks one thing of you to always remember it, and you think for a moment, and it, it doesn't give you a game over. It just waits for you to figure it out. What you have to do Screenshot? is go... Screenshot? No. What you have to do is go into the save menu and create a new save slot specifically for that ghost. Screenshot is the solution I would have thought of, but that would <laughs> that would be kind of that would be kind of sick to have like you hit the screenshot button and the screenshot is different, but you know, I bet that's really hard to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I that's probably probably. I mean, I bet they thought of that, and they were like the way the like the the OS on the switches. We can't do this. The integration doesn't work. You know, probably. Yeah, I I think those two moments don't necessarily hang with everything else we've talked about. That's a lot more emotional, or just comes out of struggling with it for a bit. But uh, I do think it's just. Those two moments really make show why Paranorma Sight is a really special game. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't know. Uh. That, that is like a really clever execution of like like games don't really do that and that's like really something. Like, oh the answer the answer to this is a solution kind of outside of the game itself, which is, I mean, it's the options menu within the game, but, you know, it just adds that little layer, like, it's that little trick that games can do that makes them feel like more, it makes you wonder what other possibilities are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it brought me back to the moments of playing Hotel Dusk on the DS and realizing, oh, it's not just something that I need to press on the controller or write down using the touchpad. 
I need to literally close the system and reopen it to get something to happen. And it's nice to see someone figure out moments like that without needing specialty hardware. And uh, this is the kind of thing that regardless of what platform you're playing on, you'll have that special moment of interacting with a game in ways you never thought of. Of the moments we've already discussed, I I think it's top three. So oh. I'm I wouldn't want to cut it just yet. I okay. mean, like most of the things we've discussed, we've cut. Yeah, I, I guess we can keep it on for now. Then, like I I wasn't aware that it would uh, hit so hard for both of you. So that's good to hear. Sounds really cool. It's um yeah, it sounds dope. Well, we'll you know have a further conversation with it in relation to other things. I think, but. I mean, like, we only have talked about two other things that we've kept. Everything else we've talked about, we've cut. So it's one of the top three because it is, though there are only three have survived so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I can see Sailing the Coast uh, going from Tears of the Kingdom. I suspect I played the most Tears of the Kingdom here. That might be wrong. I um, I think you're correct. Although I would like to, I, I I would like to put one thing from Tears of the Kingdom on the list. I just now it just now kind of came to me. Okay. Um, exploring the underground for the first time was kind of wild. Like, but I I want you to talk about like shield, like not shield, um, sailing the coast first. So. There is, um, if you go down to, oh, I can't remember its name. There's a village that is on the, like, the southeastern corner, right? There's, like, a little, like, coastal town. Um, and the town, first of all, has been taken over by monsters, which that hasn't, ha that hasn't been a thing before. But you show up and you have to fight a lot of monsters and clear them out. And then the villagers who have been sort of huddled outside of town come back and sort of reclaim their mostly destroyed village, right? And they're like, great, we have our village back. Um, it's in pretty bad shape. Listen, you've done a lot. Um, we're not going to like ask this of you, but if you happen to bring us some supplies to rebuild, that would be really helpful, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you want, some, you want some wood. Sure, I've got some wood in my inventory. And they're like, no, we need like big logs, like basically just whole cut down trees. You can't put those in your inventory. You have to figure out a way how to transport a bunch of, you know, big wooden logs down to them, right? And they they do annoyingly, frankly. Like, I, I, I it helped create the moment, but them being like, and the trees near here are no good. It's like, fucking why? <laughs> <laughs> I know they're palm trees, but you can use palm tree wood. It's fine. Um, but what I did is I ended up traveling up north to sort of the, basically the northeastern edge of the map almost and i cut down a bunch of trees and i you know fixed them together into a raft and i just started sailing down the coast and i had to you know fight off occasional like monsters that would like you know flyers and stuff that would come by or like you know like basically like like scary monster fish that mm -hmm. would attack um I had to, like, you know, change my course very gradually. I saw some interesting things, and I swung by to check them out. It took 30 minutes, and that was one delivery of, like, four I need to make. I have not finished that quest, but 
there is a certain confidence it takes to have a quest that's just like, no, just take a really long trip in a game. And the trip won't be that exciting. It's just you should do it. Um, I thought it was I thought it was one of the better moments I've had with that game. And uh, it is, however, somewhat undermined by one of the choices of Tears of the Kingdom, which is the battery stuff. Yeah, the battery stuff can be good. It's it's like so basically to explain a lot of times you are interacting with uh, Zonai machinery, right? Like a a fan or like a rocket or, you know, a cannon or something. And they operate on electricity and you have a limited amount of electricity. Um, You have your own personal reserve that will recharge when not in use. And then you have big batteries you can attach to uh, machines to make them run. And the fans on my raft ran out just over and over and over and I would have to idle for a little while and wait for them to charge back up. There are times when it makes sense. You want to make it so that someone like that, like flying around is like a limited thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, buddy, I'm on a raft going down the side of the coast. Can we just keep the power on? It does not add anything for me to stop and just like check Twitter. So I I don't think it makes the top. Yeah. But I, I like I just like I recall like at one point in that game I tried to build a boat, um not related to that quest, but just in general. And I remember like trying to set up a sale and using the tutorial pieces and doing what the game told me to do, and I got the big leaf to like, you know, you know, blow wind in order to sail down. Oh, but it turns out the leaf has a little tiny hitbox kind of at the end of it, and my raft broke. <laughs> like, mid-sail. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds about right. I do, however, agree with you that exploring the depths is is pretty cool. I think for me, like, the overall experience of exploring the depths is a little depths is a little too big for here, but that first time where you like jump down a hole and you realize there's a second kingdom down there, yes, is pretty wild. Yeah, like okay, so to the lead up to this game, they were talking about all this sky stuff. They were talking about you know showing images of Link falling through the sky. It's the title. It's the title screen of the game. It's in all the promotional materials. And it's all about falling, falling, and, like, flying in the air and all that. That stuff is, in the game, actually not all that interesting to me. It's kind of mid. <laughs> kind of mid. But one of the first things you do once you get back to Hyrule proper is that you see these big gaping holes in the earth, like, pulsating with, like, this black ichor in, like, evil energy. And people are like, I don't know what the fuck is down there. And it's just that, you know... Is that little voice in the back of your head that tells you, like, I'll bet there's something really cool down there. And you go down for the first time, either by once you get the, um, the raft, or not the raft, the, um... The glider? The glider, yeah. Or, um, like, shoutouts to, um, shoutouts and recipes to Waypoint on their stream in which they, uh, combined three birds kissing in order to float (laughs) down the hole. Um... But you just descend and descend and descend and then, oh, this is just a, it is a map the size of Hyrule 
like basically one to one in a near pitch darkness and it's like the game did it like it, like I didn't know this was in that game. They should have led with that. That shit's great. <laughs> they should have not led with that because it's great that you discover it. Mm-hmm. But I do feel you. Like, holy cow. And then just like, just there's so much to discover down there. There are like Poe spirits to, to pick up. And then like massive, like fucked up frog creatures that you fight at a certain point. Like, it's just such a different ecosystem and like you have to basically create a trail of these um light plants like by attaching them to the arrows to delve further into it because again without a light light source you are in basically pitch darkness and that's like it's not as dangerous as it sounds as we've discussed like the game is kind of easy um, and allows you to teleport at any time, but it is really sick to like go down there for the first time and realize there's a whole third map to explore. Like that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where to the wise? Uh, you can just throw the light seeds. You don't need to waste arrows with them. Sure, but sometimes you want to like get it into like a higher van- like knock it into like a higher vantage point so you can spread more light around easily. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I can suggest another thing to cut. Okay. Uh, Drunk History and Like a Dragon Ishin. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. It's a really funny moment, especially if you know a little bit of history from that period of Japan. Like, uh, basically in Like a Dragon Ishin, you have various Yakuza characters playing real-life figures. So... Kiryu is uh, playing Sakamoto Ryoma, and uh, you have Akiyama as the head of, I think, Satsuma? Yeah. And um, my personal favorite character in like the whole series, uh, Ryuji Goda, as the head of Choshu. Um, basically, um, Ryoma's down in the dumps. He's having a really fucking hard time because people that are important to them have just died and uh he's more or less pulled his satsuma friend in for a bar crawl through their way i outside of the bar that uh the guy owns they see these hooligans basically throwing rocks at a dog and suddenly the choshu head just comes in and scares them away uh but he's also not very happy to see the satsuma head here because satsuma and shoshu were constantly at odds with each other during this particular period so kiryu or kiryu slash ryoma decides i'm gonna go ahead and settle things here all three of us we're going to get into a fucking fist fight together and after they've beaten the shit out of each other they're like, okay, I'm the one that won this contest, so y'all are gonna have to go on a bar crawl with me. And, uh, Ryuji Goda uh, takes the dog with him, just because he's very enamored with this dog. There's even a moment where the dog bites him, and rather than reacting angrily, he's like, damn, you're the perfect dog for me. <laughs> and, uh, through all of this, through this 
drunken revelry where they're just going from bar to bar. Um, Kiryu inevitably just passes out, and the others are just left to talk amongst themselves right before they drop him somewhere safe. And because of that, the next day, <laughs> Ryoma slash Kiryu wakes up, and they're in a situation where it's like, oh, Satsuma and Choshu just made up. And now that they've made up, the Shinsengumi are fucked. <laughs> because now that they've made up and are not fighting with each other, they can push towards their common goal of just fucking shit up. And it's a little more specific than that. They kind of have an agenda, but they're not just like, like I'm going to break things. But yeah. I do feel you. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know the right words at the moment for like... I believe we call it a coup d'etat yes. in French. They want to do a coup. <laughs> <laughs> a coup happens because of a, a bar crawl in this game. It's, it's It's a very funny framing of history. Uh, but we can cut it. Uh, we can also cut the damn take two. Um, this is mostly here to represent. Um, so, uh, Armored Core 6 is a game that has multiple playthroughs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's New Game Plus is not, like, stuff changes, right? Yeah. So like, you, I, I believe ahead. the structure is you... There are ostensibly, like, three endings to the game, but you have to do that by playing the game three times in a row. But, yeah, like you said, are... stuff changes between each playthrough. Yeah, there are two endings that are available from the start, and once you've gotten both of them, the third one opens up. It feels like, in production history, it was supposed to be you got ending one, then ending two, then ending three, and they were like, we'll give people the option. But it feels like, narratively, it doesn't really support it as well. Anyway, um... So you do your first ending, and then you go on to, to play through two, and I, being a person who's played a lot of games where they're fucking with time and playthroughs and stuff, I quickly caught on to the fact that there was, go like, that this was not, this was, this was a time loop, basically, right? I was like, that's clearly what's happening here, sort of, um, because of a weird line that one character says, but you start playing the game, and it's just the same game, right? You're doing the same missions, they play out exactly the same. There is one mission that is the dam, which is a sort of like early mid game mission where you are joining a like two different like you're joining a company that is attacking a dam that has been occupied by like the local like basically the freedom fighters. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a mission that if you are not if you are not just blitzing through the game you probably did a lot of times because it is the best source of money in the game. Mm -hmm. Because if you replay it, you can do it so fast. Yeah, and it's a breeze because you have these two very well-equipped um, armor cores around you, and uh, they can just wipe the floor with the enemy because they're just under-equipped rebels that you're fighting. Yeah, you're, you're curb-stomping people who don't don't have much to fight with, right? And as as Jen says, you have two... You are uh, hired to work alongside the corporation's, like, elite mercenary squad. And they've got two guys there. They're both dirtbags, right? But it's like, eh, you know, you work with who you work with. 
and you get to the damn mission in your second playthrough and you do the first objective and then it's like, okay, move on, take care of the second one. Right. And you advance and then you get, then your handler is like, Hey, you're getting hailed by the resistance. I'll go ahead and put them through. Why not? <laughs> and they're like, they're like, uh, mercenary Raven. You seem very good at your job. You also don't seem like you have that much of an affiliation with these people. We will pay you double what they're paying you right now if you turn and kill them. <laughs> and you're like, sure, okay. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I that's... hate these guys. <laughs> yeah, fuck these guys. <laughs> yeah, worth pointing out at this point as well that uh, since you're doing a second playthrough, you probably have better equipment than you did when you first did this mission. Which is good, because if you didn't, these guys would fuck you up, because it's not easy. Um, I should say, it's, they ask you to destroy them. You do not. You are not able to kill them. That's important. You just destroy them. Because part of the debrief on this is really good. Um, your handler, Handler Walter, is like the one who handles basically all, like, you know, getting you contracts and working out logistics and stuff, right? And... The head of that company's mercenary squad is like, Handler Walter, that was a hell of a trick your little shithead just pulled. <laughs> you are paying for their repair jobs, asshole. And Handler Walter is smuggling like, sure, whatever you want, boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and from there, the game starts to branch a little more. But it is the moment of branching, of you doing this mission you've probably done a dozen or more times. And having the moment to be like, man, fuck these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's very good. I feel like the kinds of moments where we're seeming to lean towards are going to be a bigger deal than this, so I can see it cut. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I want to talk about battling an unruly princess. All right. Um, so this is similar to the, this is similar to what you were talking about. Like, this is like, well, not quite. Never mind. Let me start over. Void Stranger starts out as you playing this Sokoban game in which you are lifting tiles and placing them into different places. And that is the core mechanic. That is the core mechanic to this game. You find this birch tree, and you fall asleep under it. And it's like, okay, this is my save point. It closes the executable. Whatever. It, it, you don't really know what this game is cooking quite yet. Because when you relaunch the game, suddenly you are in a flashback sequence in which you are playing Lady Grey in this castle. And one of the handmaids basically tells you, please wake up the princess. She is... Like, she's late for some some royal duty, right? That mm -hmm. she clearly is putting off and doesn't want to do. And you walk into her room, and she is... It suddenly... <laughs> it's this top-down game, right? It then it, a Final Fantasy-style, like, screenshot happens, and then you're in a... <laughs> You're in a turn-based battle um, mode in which you have to wear down the princess who has basically turned her blankets into a monster. Um, or, like, her... No, not her blankets, her hair. Like, she is this 
wild, unkempt mess of a lady. And you have to do some pretty basic RPG mechanics. Like, you pretty much figure out that if you do attack over and over, like, it's initially intimidating because she has 9,999 health. And you do, like, one damage. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can combo attacks. And then as long as you, like, use the very obvious cues that the princess is about to attack, you hit defend. You defend against it and you can basically do the whole sequence. Um, It's a pretty easy sequence to figure out. But it really was just this, like, really beautiful moment where Void Stranger is, like, now nah, you don't know what we're on right now. And then you just like and then it just turns into this like really cute scene when you like when you manage to get her out of bed and brush her hair and just get her ready for her day. And I just felt like that was that was that moment that was like, oh, there's so much more going on with Void Stranger that I gave it any credit for. Like, you know, This game is still talked about in hushed whispers for that reason, because there's still so much that the game has to offer that I still haven't fully explored yet. But it really was this moment, this complete break from how the game is played to setting up this story. And like you get other scenes when you get to like you figure out pretty quickly that when you save and relaunch the game, you get another flashback sequence, but that first one, it's really entertaining. Um, and just like really imaginative too, as well, because it's like, again, this intense JRPG boss battle of getting this bratty kid to get out of bed. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm. I kind of fell off Void Stranger just because I lost patience with the Sokoban bit, but I did see footage of that moment, and it was really fucking cool. People really should play Void Stranger. (laughs) It's really something. So, what's next on the list? Um, I kind of want to, like, we have a couple other little ones we could tackle. We Basically, we have three left we haven't checked in on. Mm Mm-hmm. The We Sing one is going to take apparently like 30 minutes or something, Jen. Can we no. just get this over with? <laughs> yeah, it, it's six minutes, but yeah, it's a. I'm sorry in advance for the amount that's going to be here. It's just. It's a very complicated moment. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's tackle let's, it. Let's tackle it. Okay. I'm just. I'm, Jen, I'm just going to start playing these time codes. Okay. And you're, you're just going to like. I'm going to skip around. You just tell me when to skip to the next moment. You just explained this as best as you can, as fast as you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> here, here we go. Okay, so the start of this is basically every time things reset, Alan is sent back into this waiting room for this uh, night show. And, uh... I could take control. This time when he comes in, the world has a, a slightly different plan for him. Together with our houseman, the divine old gods of Asgard, we have created something special. The song is called Harold. You know how late night shows love to have specific uh, bits or segments with their guests? 
Yes. This is basically taking that idea and being like, what would that look up? What would that look like in a dream sequence? So, after seeing himself on TV, he zooms into the TV and, uh, this is one of the more interesting things the game does because you have moments where it's moving from 3D model to live action bit where suddenly it's the actor looking at the TV and then bam, back in the game. And then this starts happening. What the hell? From what I've gathered, you grew up nice and sheltered with mama's pretty stories and your own made up fury. And mama gave me a magic clicker. Well, yes, I think it's true and fair to say. It's immediately like a complete total change because it's very funny to just hear him <laughs> say things like, I think it's true and fair to say. <laughs> All right, should I move on to the next bit? Yep, move on to the next bit. Okay. And you have all these various people that are dressed as shadows, like backup dancers moving around him. And then when we get to the actual chorus, you can just see it in his expression, like what the hell is happening? His body movements are so awkward. <laughs> he just has to go with it because he doesn't really know what to do with it. As you're walking through seeing various screens show different parts of the band going, different dancers, and you're basically walking through it like it's an interactive museum of sorts. Okay, next part. So yeah, throughout the song it is doing that cut back to TV. You get to this moment, and if you're just looking around, it's recreating the opening to the original Alan Wake. You're on the ferry, you're seeing the Welcome to Bright Falls sign at the top, and the song takes a brief... <laughs> a brief turn for uh, something slower, <laughs> as people dressed as a shadow are handing Alan a bottle of champagne or flowers, and he's like, I don't know what to do with these. <laughs> And, uh, next moment is good to go to. It's this part where things take a more action turn, because, like, at the beginning you don't have any of your items, but through bit after bit. See on the floor there it says, wait for solo in gap tape? <laughs> and suddenly, it is time for the solo, and it is time to get up to some shit. Okay, next bit. A vision. So you think you're briefly out of the concert for a moment because you're into one of the break rooms from the parts of the game, and then suddenly it lifts up like a set. And then you get to the jazz segment. And body language in here is fantastic. At this point, he's fully bought in and doing his own thing. <laughs> Low kick. Until 
As you're climbing the ladder, he's doing this little dance away. <laughs> this little bookie is good. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and that's that part, basically. <laughs> and then we get to the big finale. One last zoom into the TV for good measure. And now, the grand finale. <laughs> the part, if this was an actual late night show, the crowd is singing, the chorus is singing, and now Alan is just fully into it. <laughs> Alongside uh, Alex Casey over there, aka Sam Lake. It's just such a astounding sequence for a survival horror video game to just throw this in here, and yet it is totally appropriate due to the dreamlike nature of everything happening around him. And then he sits down, the lights flicker, and bam, it's back to the nightmare. <laughs> After that brief interlude. Seems like you shouldn't have left. I mean, like, and, you know. He was having a good time. But yeah, but like, <laughs> you know, I've, I've played some Alan Wake 1 and it's DLC, and I think 2 makes this more true. The rest of, you know, the dark place is a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the dark place is a lot, lot worse. <laughs> but he does need to get out and back into the real world, so that's what pushes him forward. That is pretty pretty sick. That's, yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I have not okay. spent any time with Alan Wake 2, and that is a shame. Like, I should fix that. Yeah, it's, I, it's really good. For for those at home who don't know this, I got a free code for it with purchase of my PC, and I waited to redeem it, and it expired very quickly. <laughs> so yep. I didn't get it. It's a shame. But, yeah, you know, I'll I'll get it once it comes out on Switch, uh, Steam, I'm sure. And then I'll play it, I'll be like, this is too scary. Judd, tell me what happens. <laughs> I'm not sure if it'll ever come out on Steam, because it is Epic Games published, but... Uh... It is also available on Xbox and PlayStation and all that. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess I could just share my Epic account with you. <laughs> Though I don't, don't have Don't say this Epic. shit on it. Shh, shh, shh. Is this a joke? <laughs> parody? Parody? Tim Sweetie, do not come knocking down our door. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I mean, fuck you, but... Fuck you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess that leaves the last two things we haven't discussed yet. It does. Our, our two from anime. Um, easiest one to cut. I th Well, I think they're probably both going to go, but uh, easier cut is definitely Aqua Decides to Try from Oshinoko. Um, this is our, our perspective character, main character, Aqua. Um, he is trying to find out who it is that got his mother killed. Um, mm -hmm. And 
as part of that, he's like, I know it was someone in the like in the you know entertainment industry. And so he takes like he's mostly just sort of scouting around and trying to be behind the scenes. He gets an invitation to like be a guest star on like the finale of a show that is really struggling. And he's like, I'm fucking good, bro. <laughs> and then he's like, wait a minute. This director is someone on my list of people I need to check out. So he takes it and he goes on and the show is bad. There, The actress is sort of a, a, a person he knows from from younger in life who he's sort of reuniting with and she's actually good right she is a, a child star who has tried to make the pivot is having a hard time but she's a professional everyone else is a fucking amateur and he's like this is a real shame she is giving it her all but this you know is not going to work because the people around her are crap at this right and he gets the evidence he wants. He gets something. He gets a he gets a cigarette butt that he's going to go do a DNA test to try and figure out, you know, if, if this is the guy he's looking for. And he's like, you know, well, I'm here. I guess I might as well try. And he goes to, you know, record the scene that he's going to be in. Um, And he's like, OK, so first of all, I'm the antagonist here. Our male lead is just a, a model who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, right? Just sucks at this and is a really stiff actor. Um, and so he breaks the script. He goes really aggro and says some really personal stuff. He baits the the male lead into, like, just straight up decking him on camera. Uh, and then, you know, the, everything is called cut. And he's like, damn, good job. And just walks out. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that moment a whole lot. Like, it is just this... Like you said, this scene in which, like, he basically tells this guy, it's like, huh, Photoshop, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're not as handsome as, or something like that. Um, and I just also really love, like, how it kind of leads to, like, a moment later where, like, in some ways, like, this is a standout episode for this show and you have the mangaka direct like the mo the because it's an adaptation of an in-universe manga being like you know what it was worth it and it just has this ripple effect like a small ripple but it is just really cool especially with how passive or not passive like how focused aqua has been in the story at that point it is it is cool to see him try something else and it's also, you know, I mean, this, you know, I called it decides to try because I think that's part of he is this character who is like very fixated on his goal and is pretty like apathetic and is basically the character who's there to say no in basically any situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And it is this moment of him being like, you know, it has been a while. Pop my knuckles. What if I decided to genuinely try for a second year? <laughs> and it's like, this is what it looks like when Aqua is like committed. And it's very cool. Yeah. It, it's partially because he he undervalues himself to some degree. He thinks that he's a shit actor. But the fact that he's able to move between all of these different circles, gathering information, proves that he is very conniving and a good actor in his own way. So, of course, when he turns it to actual acting, he fucking nails it. It helps that his role is being a dickhead. He's like, oh, sure, I can do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not a huge stretch for Aqua at this point. No, no. 
Um, the other moment I put on here is the first sortie from Gunbuster. I think a lot of Gunbuster is just a thing you need to experience. People should watch Gunbuster. Absolutely. Um, this is, and I think there are probably more impactful moments than this, but I don't just want to say like the ending made me cry. Right. Cause that's not out of context. It doesn't mean much to you. And you know, also it's just sort of taking away a reason you might want to watch the show. Mm-hmm. This one feels like one that we can explain that expl- like shows some impact without taking away. Right. Yeah. Because the setup for this scene is. It's basically the first real battle that, like, for the first ep- I think this is episode two, um, in which this happens. Uh, regardless, it's very early in the story where uh, Noriko has been training pretty much all her life to fight this alien force, and she is like she and the other students are being deployed for the very first time here. Yeah. And so, they, you know, she climbs into her mecha and she's like, got her, like, you're supposed to have a partner. And she, her, her, her existing partner has sort of rejected her because she's like, I feel like this kid isn't ready for it. And she's just going to get hurt. Right. And so her new partner is this nice guy. Um, and he's like, don't worry, you know, stick by me and it'll be fine. Um, and she heads into her first battle and she's, you know, she's rightly fairly anxious about it. And then the way the battle itself plays out is just like radar blips and explosions, right? She never sees what she's fighting. She never sees what is killing people. She just sees like, oh, something is moving fast on the radar. And then someone close to her dies. And that just happens over and over. And she's just sitting there just like, what the fuck do I do? Um, And then like the order comes in to like have everybody retreat like back into the ship. And it's like she basically was standing in her mecha completely scared shitless the entire time. And the reveal is like, yeah, we took losses, but we won that fight. It's like, yeah, we did? <laughs> is that what winning feels like? Uh, it's it's really well executed. It's definitely a moment in Gunbuster, because Gunbuster is a story about, like the human will and triumph and it has these moments of incredible like moments of victory for these characters like i almost put on like the fight in which like noriko and kasumi right uh yes yes finally uh noriko and kasumi like fight off the alien force while this pop song plays as they are doing lightning kicks and doing this amazing thing but you can't have that moment without having that really raw vulnerable moment of the first sortie of just how scared and overwhelmed noriko is and and that dictates the tone of the rest of the show in a lot of ways like it's a very pivotal moment for her and for the show itself Mm -hmm. also i feel like the moment where they're beating the aliens to the pop song is a thing you could see in other mecha shows but the moment where she's just sitting there and watching blip says the people around her die and then she just has to go back in you almost never see something like that in mecha anime yeah it's a 
really impactful moment um in that show and gives like it gives like the rest of gunbuster like it gives it that contrast that needs to shine so brightly all right well what do we do then because we have a, we have a lot left on this list we have seven things um okay I think exploring the depths can go. Um, okay. I think that's really cool to experience. Um, it's kind of a known thing now, but it is like you do have that incredible moment. But um, I think it's like I don't think it's necessarily top three. I think we probably dropped the Paranormosite thing. Partially because it seems like this is just like a thing that the game does consistently. It's like, this is a cool example of it, but it's also just like, hey, the game has this cool part to it that you should just generally see. Yeah, I, I think so too. Like, it's something that they use sparingly just so that the effect doesn't wear off, but uh, it's still something that you see a few times and uh, it's still a part of just playing the game. Um, I'm not happy to do this, but I think cutting finding the bullet is the right answer. Uh, part of the reason I'm not happy is because we're like mostly left with moments that are for other people. <laughs> but you know, listen, you know, sometimes other people have better nominees than you do. <laughs> I mean, uh, I it's very cool. I mean, I I could also see cutting battling an unruly princess. Like we might have to to get to a top three. I mean, yeah, I yeah. think, I think if nothing else, like more people should like. I think the word is out there. I think plenty of people know like how, like Void Stranger is a very special thing. Um, but I, you know, I think about like the things that we want to say with this sort of list, and it's like. I don't know, in some ways it's like, it's kind of a known factor that Void Stranger is surprising. So, mm -hmm. I just I just hope that my description of that moment whets your appetite a little bit to check this game out. But it doesn't need to stay in top three. Well, and like, so looking at the other top three, what would be the top three, right? The arguments for why, they, why they're good on the list is like, Gunbuster, people aren't talking about Gunbuster. What is wrong with you talking about Gunbuster? <laughs> um, with uh, the Final Campsite, Final Fantasy XV is a game that has a real mixed reputation that I think is deserved. But also, I think because of that, there are a lot of people who didn't see the best parts of the game, right? Mm -hmm. And those are worth paying tribute to. And then you have heard that Alan Wake does shit. You are not prepared for how much Alan Wake does shit. <laughs> Indeed. Like, this, it sounds like, like, with Alan Wake, like, the Alan Wake moment is this culmination of how long, like, Remedy's been around for how long? At least 20 years at this point? Something like that. It's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. This sounds like it is a culmination of a lot of different things that they've been building to it's just this like really layered like 
it's it's very rare for us to say oh yeah this is a moment that lasts 20 minutes and it's worth it the entire time (laughs) yeah um honestly though before we decide on winner or anything like that um part of me is like should we let kirye hear the final campsite scene because that performance might cinch it for her i don't know if it works without playing the game that's fair, yeah. That that might be true. Um, I mean, you know, there's always going to be a part of these awards that is listening to your best friends talk about a thing and how much it meant to them and understanding how much it connects with you or you think it would and how much they are trying to convey something. You know, like, there are times in these awards where one of us shows up and where, like, this this one should absolutely be the winner and it doesn't win it doesn't make the top three that happens right Mm -hmm. um but there's a there's a degree of trust here and i think we just kind of have to trust that we have conveyed to some extent how potent that scene is yeah I, i think we did a good job explaining that scene i think so too because i have not played Final Fantasy XV. I have listened to Novel Not New, however, and the way that you describe that game and describe that scene does sound like it would, like, it would certainly tug at my heartstrings, I think, because you have that scene in JRPGs. Like, one of my favorite moments in Chrono Trigger is a scene like that. Um... Where it's like, it's after you recover Robo, <laughs> um, and it's like, it's just like, having that little moment of rest before the big climactic battle is like, it is is a, a well-worn thing, but it's still something that can go horribly wrong, right? Like, if you don't mm-hmm. connect with the characters at all. And it, it's impressive that for as much as Six, you said you did not enjoy that game, like, it still, like, still worked in some level. I think between, like, this, the very ending, and the road trip part of the game, I think that game is bad. I think you should play it. Yep. Yeah. I think the game is good and that you should play it. But we gotta pick a winner. We do. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be Gunbuster. I don't think so either. I think it's between Alan Wake and Final Fantasy. Yeah. Really out here promoting the indies. (laughs) 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 Yep. Hmm. All right, give Void Stranger back on the list. <laughs> Listen, when you when you when you fuck up that stock market, mmm. <laughs> um, I think if you were to ask me right now where it would go, I think it's We Sing. Like that's hmm. just kind of what my gut is telling me at the moment. Um. Well, what do you two think? Uh, 
I can see that. I feel like, I don't know. I, one of the problems with the way we do this, right? Is that you and I were both exposed to this for the first time, like just now, right? Mm -hmm. We haven't had time to sort of sit and chew on it. And sometimes that can hurt a thing, right? Where you can be like, after the fact, you're like, actually, hmm, I think this was cooler than I was giving it credit for. And sometimes you give into astonishment. And I'm not like the nature of what I, the problem I'm describing is that I don't know what it is. I don't know if there is a problem right now, but I do think there is a risk that we are giving into astonishment a little bit with Alan Wake. Mm. That is fair. It is fucking incredible. That's not up for debate. Mm -hmm. There's a reason it's top three. Mm hmm. Yeah, but I do think it says something that even though Six did not like the game at all, that final campsite moment really hit them. Uh, hit for them. I, well, how I strongly it... suspect I wouldn't like Alan Wake 2, to be honest with you, Jen. I don't fucking like horror games. <laughs> That's fair, yeah, and this one just does constant jump scares, so... Okay, Jen, can I, can I hear one more time, like, why the campsite, like... We we talked a little bit about it earlier, but why the campsite works. Like, can you expand on that, like, a little bit? Sure. Like, it's basically this person knowing that tomorrow they are going to go to their death. And whether they communicate that or not with their friends, it's a situation where they're just sitting there knowing what's about to come. And just faced with the gravity of what's going on and around his friends, his best friends in the world for the final time, he's, he knows he has to tell them something to express his emotions to them. But because of how hard that is for someone like him, he's, he has to be goaded into it. And as he's doing it, you just hear his voice break and give way into crying because, as he says, it's more than I can take. And the dam just kind of opens. And, and it's... He's not eloquent. He doesn't convey it very well. You have to know the guy for to understand what he is trying to communicate at all. Fortunately, these are the people who know him best in the world, so they get it. Um, I think... I mean, you know, I hate to reduce this to tropes to some degree, right? But this is like, he hasn't completely, his his character arc shouldn't be over yet, but the Sundere is having to be honest about his feelings anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that just capstone moment where he also chokes out, you guys are the best. And that's the closest he can come to just saying, I love you. I love you guys. And What does he say in Japanese? Out of curiosity, uh, he does. He he does say Daisuke. He does he, uh, Daisuke, not Daisuke. He, <laughs> he does mention the generic name of a Japanese man. <laughs> um, no, he does manage to say "I love you guys" basically in Japanese. But even then, you know, there's different ways of saying love in Japanese, and he goes yeah. with the more conservative one. Though also, if he'd said Aishteru, that would have really complicated things. <laughs> After the fact, they would have been arguing. 
and it was like Ignis be like, obviously he was talking to me. You fucking idiots. You, you children. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still give it to Alan Wake. Personally. Okay. I, I, I have thought about it. I've chewed and I I definitely think that moment is really strong. But I think for me it's Alan Wake. Jen? I'm kind of too invested in both moments to really give a good answer from my end, because I would be happy with either of them winning, but uh, I do think the moment of we sing in Alan Wake 2 is something that uh, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime thing you'll see in one game, and I doubt they're going to do it for another game, because... They had to fucking fight tooth and nail to get that scene in. And also just, even though it was super successful, lightning can't really strike twice with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Actually, I believe you'll find that lightning returns Final Fantasy thirteen, so it can <laughs> she can strike twice. Do you know what do you know I realize what why Okay, this is related to a moment in Alan Awake One. So there is a concert, there's a scene in which you're fighting off a bunch of shadows while, like, um, Old Gods of, Old Gods of Asgard is playing. And mm-hmm. I thought that scene is conceptually cool, but you have your annoying buddy kind of with you talking over it about how awesome it is. <laughs> and I realized, like, what we sing is, is, like, it is a recreation of that moment while, like just fully confident in the idea of like, no, we know this is like super sick. This is like the coolest thing you're going to see. <laughs> yeah. And because they lean into the silliness of various moments, it works even better. Like they don't comment on it. It's just what it is. <laughs> you do get a great moment towards the end of the game though, where something is going on with the two old gods of Asgard members. And, uh, <laughs> basically after they go off to fight something, Alan is reassuring this uh, federal agent being like, oh, they know what they're doing. In my dream, they were, they played my song, they were in my musical. And the agent just stops for a moment and is like, I don't think that's as reassuring as you think it is, basically. (laughs) I know you've been in a spooky ghost lake for a long time, but that's not how you reassure a person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's we sing. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Okay. Our winner for best moment is We Sing from Alan Wake 2 with runners up the first sortie from Gunbuster and the final campsite from Final Fantasy 15. Uh among our more difficult categories this year, uh spoiler wording for our uh, spoiler for folks, we we've recorded these out of order. Um but there's one category we always do last so can count on that being in the correct order um shout outs to all of our nominees it's an honor to be nominated and i feel like sometimes people say it's an honor to be nominated and it feels like a chiding right like listen mm-hmm. you should be you should be proud you even made it here and i i mean it more just like hey listen we have to like you for you to be here. So go home knowing we really liked you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, biggest congratulations to our winner. 
that's it for this category, folks. We will be back with another category. Uh, uh, I think at this point I have the schedule. Probably this comes out on a Monday and the next one is Wednesday, I think. I really we'll shouldn't have called my shot like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in the editing booth. You're going to drop something in. It's like six. God damn it. Why did you set me up <laughs> like this? The Texas speech. It's going to come out on a Thursday. And the next podcast should be on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But thank you so much, folks, for joining us. We'll be back with more awards. And until we are, peace out. See ya. Later. <laughs>